Today's sermon comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 6 through 19. Jesus prayed for his disciples. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one, as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that you may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, my friends, it's a delight to be with you in worship. Reverend Wortman, Reverend Dr. Wortman mentioned at the, stop, at the start of the service to stay tuned for some news about our reopening plans. Most of you are very well aware that on Thursday the CDC released some new scientific data showing even greater efficacy of the vaccine than we had imagined. And so we are going to start making moves to open uh, in much broader ways. There will still be restrictions. We're going to lessen the one restriction that you guys have probably hated the most, which is to say uh, no more reservations. Uh, so hopefully on Pentecost Sunday, we can have more people at our 9 and 11 o'clock service. I do not wish to give many more details than that. I want you to know your pastor thinks that the vaccination is something you should consider getting. Uh, however, if you haven't been vaccinated or if you have autoimmune issues, I do really recommend you still wear masks. We are going to mandate masks be worn in the childcare area and by children since they have yet to be vaccinated. But look, be on the lookout for an email or letter from us or a video from us this week on how this is going to take place. But we are excited and thrilled to be, have, uh, be able to gather in greater numbers. Uh, it is certainly a sad thing that we haven't been able to preach to people, to see people, and it'll still be slow going. We'll, we'll get there. And, uh, but, I mean, I thought you might smile at me. So since I can't see you smiling, can I see some thumbs up? There we go. No thumbs downs today, just thumbs up. Cool. Now, 
Much more importantly, I want to say a prayer before we pray about this text. Uh, and I want you to join your heart with mine in this prayer because I know that you're aware of other news of the conflict going on between, in Israel and Palestine between people groups. And I have been on the phone with Rabbi Berg, or been texting back and forth just about all that's going on there and the, um, the violence and the continued attacks. Um, it breaks my heart as I know it breaks yours and it breaks the world's heart to see this. And I wanted to lift up our brothers and sisters in prayer and ask that God intervene peace, peacefully. Would you please join your heart with mine in prayer? God, we do not know what to say but to appeal for your peace. Let it fall in Israel and Palestine between factions. Heal divisions. These are age-old struggles. And we don't have the wisdom to know how to sort them out, but we know that you do. And that you still speak in this world and your spirit still falls upon the hearts and minds of people made in your image. So blessed God. As a priesthood of all believers, we lift this up to you. It's in your son's name we pray and God's people say together, amen. So I was talking with somebody who said before they preach, they like to get everyone to do a, a deep exhale and relieve all the air from their lungs than to take a great inhale so as to imagine breathing in the breath of God. Let's do that together. Take a deep inhale, exhale. Breathe in the breath of God. Let's pray. Creator God, we are thankful for the life that you have given us. And we confess that we have not always been wise with it. We've been wayward, we've been foolish, we have been divisive. But it is a confession of this community and the shape of our hope that you sent your son Christ to reconcile us unto yourself and to cultivate inside of our hearts desire for your kingdom. We're thankful. We also believe that you have sent your Holy Spirit to be a guide and friend, to walk with us as a counselor. Send your spirit now for you and I know that without you I can do nothing. And let these words in some way shape our hearts and transfigure our lives that we may be more like you and that we may be binded with bonds of love and cords of love that cannot be broken. It's in your son's precious name we pray and God's people together say, amen. In 2004, I took a trip to Scotland. Some of you have heard about this in other sermons. A couple of us from college and a professor were backpacking from town to town to study the religious life of the Scottish people. You see, secularity has increased in the UK at much more of a rapid click than here in the United States. And so we thought maybe by studying our partners across the sea, our brothers and sisters and cousins, we might see where we were headed. So we walked from town to town, took the trains, took the buses, and as we went through major cities, we would, we would just interview people about their faith life or lack thereof. We saw all manner of interesting people. We talked to priests and pastors, rabbis, imams, garbage workers, bookshop owners, and we got interesting data. A lot of times we'd poke our heads into churches and stop by for a midday prayer service or compline, light a candle. Out in the world, we met some charismatic evangelists 
I don't mean charismatic in the sense that they could talk to anybody and that they were easy on their feet in groups of people. I mean charismatic in the theological sense. These folks believed that you could prophesy over one another and when the Holy Spirit fell upon you, you could speak in tongues. So we thought it would be interesting because that's not the tradition that we're from. So we said, sure, we will go with you to your midday prayer lesson. Sat in a big circle with the worshipers there. I have often been skeptical of pastors that lay their hands on and proclaim the future for my life or maybe even the deep darkness of my soul, probably because there's been a lot of charlatans that have done that and I've got a little cynical. I think my New Testament professor felt the same way. So we sat there because they were hospitable and kind and we thought we would participate. They began to speak in tongues and we watched and we prayed and then they began to prophesy over each other. They laid their hands on my professor's shoulders and they began to say things about him that he had not revealed to anyone things that he was struggling with, ways that he could overcome. And I looked at him not knowing what he was dealing with, but I could see the, the tears well up in his eyes. It affected him right here. And then they put their hands on Ryan Stewart. I mentioned his name. He's a member of our church running the cameras right back there. We were in college together. They did the same thing over Ryan. And then they came to me. And sure enough, what they said had some truth to it. Afterwards, we went out and shared some curry and chicken tikka masala and explained how we had been skeptical of such things, but how, for whatever reason, in that moment, we knew God had shown up in those people's prayers for us. It's an important thing to receive the prayer of somebody else. It's a major thing to be prayed over. And this is why I think Christians are drawn to John 17. In it, we have what is called the high priestly prayer, where Jesus lifts up his disciples to God like a priest, and then he prays over them. He prays for their safety and protection and their mission. And, and other Christians have noticed, too, that it's not just the first century disciples receiving this prayer of blessing, but it's disciples of all generations and so, here in John 17, we see the heart of God revealed in Jesus, that Jesus is prayed for you and for me. It's not nothing to be prayed over. And what was the heart of that prayer for us and for the early disciples? Oh, I know John is wordy. He says lots of things, but the heart is this, Father God, let my followers be one as you and I are one. The prayer is for unity. The world everywhere says and it wants unity. It yearns for unity. The church loves the concept of unity. So much so that I have a joke. I think the first sermon every preacher ever preaches is about the concept of unity. It's kind of low-hanging fruit. I'll never forget being 15 years of age. My pastor called me and said, boy, do you want to learn how to preach? Sure. I mean, I didn't want to be a preacher, but I thought, why not? I wanted to be an actor so you could see how being up in front of people might appeal to my vanity. Thumbs up for a laugh. 
Can't hear you with masks on. And so they put me through this little program. I didn't really have any seasoning. I didn't have any real training or skills. or I had no idea how to go about starting a sermon, finding a text. So I sat in my bedroom on the floor, blue carpet, with my little blue Strong's Concordance of the Bible. And I started looking for words that sounded interesting to me. And then I came upon that one word, unity. Oh, what a novel concept, I thought. I'm going to bring it to the church. And so then I found all the scriptures, and I went, and I started working on the sermon, which I was certain it was going to break hearts and shatter worldviews. It was going to fix the divisions in the world, the sermon on unity. We had a lock-in with about five youth groups that filled the sanctuary. We had a praise band, and I got up, and I, I preached something. It wasn't my most well-received or delivered sermon, that I assure you. But it was on unity, because it's an appealing concept. But it's a hard one. We have thoughts about unity in our world, let me submit to you, and I don't think they touch the depth of unity we're speaking about here in this passage. We might think about being united as a fan base. How do you know that a fan base is united? Well, they probably sit on one side of the stands if it's, you know, football. They probably wear uniforms, all the same gear. They probably have their, their traditions and their chants and their jeers at the other team. They look alike. They found some common practices. They have moved an allegiance. We might think of something deeper like, oh, I don't know, some social club. You know, a group of people that are like us in our economic class or in our professional sense, and, and we found ways to network and bond with them and kind of agree to a certain level of decorum to be around them. And then we sign up, and we agree to behave in a certain way, and then we get the benefits therein. Just finding people like us. Or more deeply, we may think of nation states. Being divided or united as a country is a big talking point right now in our world. But still, when we seek unity as a, as a nation, we talk about all having the same laws under one constitution. And yeah, there's some values tied to all that. But I submit none of that can touch the depth of union that Jesus is praying for you for. You see, Jesus wants the people of God to be one as he is with the Father God. What's that mean? I strongly support and believe in the theology of the Trinity. And there's one way of trying to understand it. Of course, we never really fully will. It's a divine mystery. But the language is this. We believe in one God, but that one God is three-personed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And one way to think about it is to think about how God the Father self-gives and makes space for God the Son, and that God the Son self-gives and makes space for God the Spirit, and God the Spirit self-gives and makes space for God the Father, and every other which way in between, and there is this divine dynamism of self-giving and making room for one another. That if you could imagine seeing it, you could only see one and say, that's God. Well, if that didn't confuse too much, let me land the plane. I think for Christians to be united means that we need to be people who will self-give, give of ourselves, lay down our life, make space for the other. 
It requires, as they say, a lot more than skin in the game. You have to lay yourself down and make space for one another. Unity's hard in the church because it requires everything. We often offer weaker means of association and call it unity. Dr. Wortman was sharing with me this week, he likes to say, unity does not mean uniformity. But you can see how we might just assume uniformity is unity. If we all look and act and think the same, well, we're together. But I submit to you, any forced uniformity isn't necessarily holy. It's actually fascist. No, no, we're, we're united as a body of Christ with a multiplicity of parts that make up the one body. In this unity is great diversity. And out of the calling of God into the darkness of, of the world and its four corners, we will find many different kinds of people with many different gifts, with many different stories, all sitting at that one table where he is host. And for us to belong there means we need to practice self-gifting love and we need to make space for one another. There are other reasons that unity is hard to come by. One is that it's so much more simple for us to find unity with others when we have a common enemy or foe. That's a profound temptation in our world. We never feel more united as a country than when we're at war with somebody that we think is really a bad actor. Oh, and then we come together, right? But let's make it smaller, because that attitude is alive and well in the church. There are always those after-meeting meetings and phone calls where we try to get two or three on our side. We find ways to scapegoat someone else or some other point of view, you know, and then we start pointing at it. We find ways to divide with others so that we can unite with some others. It's easy to be of like mind when you have a common enemy or foe or annoyance. There was these two neighbors. They did not like each other. One of the neighbors allowed their dog to go to the bathroom on the other neighbor's lawn and didn't pick it up. I got a lot of neighbors that do that, by the way. I hope they're watching. The other neighbor allowed his sprinkler to hit the bathroom window of the other neighbor and left streaks and he never cleaned it off. So they, they didn't like each other. But they didn't even talk. They just bickered to their spouses inside the house about this whole thing. They didn't sit on the front porch and wave to each other. They, they stayed inside the house or sat outside in their back lawn garden with privacy fences. And when, that, when they happened to go out and get the paper at the same time or back their car out of the driveway, they didn't wave. Then one day, a guy on a fancy motorcycle moved to the neighborhood, the kind of sport bike, you know, where you could rev it really loud as you come in. And a guy comes roaring into the neighborhood. And those two neighbors heard it at the same time, and they popped out their front door and stood watching this guy go by. And with an angry look and stare, they shook their fists like a bunch of old men. And then they caught each other out of the corner eye, realizing that they had a shared feeling, a shared bond. It was a seed. And the next time that fellow came riding his motorcycle in, they ran out the door and they tried to shout at the man, but he couldn't hear them with the roaring engine of this motorcycle. So they began to kind of look at each other, knowing glances. 
tiptoe toward that property line and started planning their plans to get this man to stop. It's easy to come together when you have a common problem or common enemy. But I'll submit to you that the Jesus never calls us to have a common enemy. He calls us to unite under something more than a problem, but rather a purpose-filled mission. He's praying for their unity as they go into a world that's dangerous, a world that can hurt them, but they're to bring his kingdom. Friends, we are to unite in self-giving love, making space for one another to be a part of the greatest adventure story known to the cosmos. The story of bringing justice where there is injustice, mercy where there lacks, wholeness where ones are broken, inclusion where people are excluded. It's that. It's that we are to get ourselves behind in unity. Learn the lesson of the tree ant from Switzerland. My family and I were watching this David Attenborough documentary the other night. I commend it to you. There's a mountain, I wish I could, the Jura Mountain. Does that sound correct, Jura Mountain? There's this mountain called the Jura. Now, on one side of it, they find these, these tree ants. And they don't have sand, sand hills like we, we see. They have, it's like big mounds of like, like dirty wood and bark and stuff. And then there, there, there are you know, millions of, of ants, and they usually have one queen ant. And in their life cycle, they enter the spring, and then they go out looking, searching for competitors. And it could be as far away as for me to this back sanctuary that there's another mound. And they also send out their competitors, their hunters, their, their you know, spies. And they track the ants, and they meet each other in the middle of the field, and they, they have a little skirmish, and then they run back to their own huge tree anthills, and they call on the Marines and the military. And they all go back out for war. And if you've ever watched a David Attenborough doc, nature documentary, you realize they, they painstakingly get involved in the action. The camera is so close that watching this battle between the ants literally, literally terrified my daughters. They, they, would, they would squirt toxin from their abdomen on their foes, and that, that toxin gets into their body and actually melts away their organs. It's vicious and brutal. They actually took away trophies back to their own anthill. Sure, this colony was united against that colony, but what did it get them in the end? Pain, sorrow, scarcity. Then Attenborough took you to the other side of this mountain. And on the other side, they had the same exact species of tree ant, and they had the, the same materials to work with, the same landscape. Except for this time, what they happened upon was what he called a super colony, where all these anthills were actually interconnected together. They didn't have one queen ant. They had hundreds of thousands of them. So you had basically different families living together in harmony. And he says, we don't understand scientifically why this is the case. They're the same ants. And we've only known them to behave like this, violent, otherizing, divisive. But here's a whole colony that lives together in harmony. 
one little ant from one side of the colony met another little ant from the other side of the colony, and they touched antennae. I think that's how you say it. Right? And it communicated, I need food. And the other one went to go get food for it. Cooperation. There's a better way to go. I believe it's found here in the prayer of Jesus, not just for his first disciples, but for us. And I think it should be a refreshing word for us today. Because everywhere it seems we're divided, that you are tired of hearing. Every day we hear about how we're polarized. And we have actually otherized each other, even in the church, along the lines of certain ideologies. But we're called from the heart of God to be one. To be one as Christ is with the Father. Which means we find our way not against each other, but we find our way because of each other. We lay down our lives and make space for one another. God bless you.